0: There's Always a FinReg Angle, the podcast providing you with the latest news and commentary on financial regulation. Brought to you by Global Custodian. Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of season four of There's Always a FinReg Angle. Wow, we are churning them out in 2023, aren't we? I'm John Watkins, editor of Global Custodian, and I'm joined virtually as always by a pair of FinReg experts, Sean Tuffy and Virginia O'Shea. How are you both?
1: Good, how are you? I'm
0: good. Good we good.
2: Happy, happy it's near the end of the week for this recording.
0: <laughs> I know, I know. Four o'clock on a Friday, eh? Yeah. Whose idea was that? I, I, hopefully we still bring the enthusiasm. But, um, you know, I will be enthusiastic because today is the day I finally get my T plus one podcast. And if you listen to the last couple of episodes, you've known that I've been fighting for this and um, other things just keep popping up, don't they? And then we end up chatting for 30 minutes and, and never get into it. But Despite the fact we've got a couple of news items to get through today, nothing, nothing is going to stop us discussing it. But my first question of the day is whether either of you are going to be buying yourself a a blue tick from Twitter.
1: In fact, Sean, I'm surprised you never had one in the first place. You're a bit of a celebrity on that platform. Yeah, no, I never, I never quite made the uh, the initial cut. But uh, I absolutely am not going to pay for pay for blue check now. I mean, that's got to be the least cool thing imaginable. Like it is. I'm trying to think of a comparison of how uncool it is
0: but uh it's 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 a bit like um bringing the teacher a pet apple isn't it a, a pet apple <laughs> it's, a <bit> like, <laughs> it's, it's a bit like bringing the teacher a, an
1: apple as a present isn't it
2: yeah I, I i think people are embarrassed about getting it for free aren't they from, from the looks of things
1: well i think there, it's been interesting a lot of people who had it for free are you know trying giving off a lot of uh no, I actually b- broke up with, uh, with them vibes about losing their blue check and trying to play it cool because it definitely was a saddest symbol at one point. But I think like, you know, as any any child of the 90s will tell you, like the least cool thing you can do is try to look cool. And so buying a, uh, a blue check pretty much is at the epitome of like trying too hard.
0: <laughs> like that, uh, Steve Buscemi, uh, uh, gif of, um, well, hello, fellow kids <laughs> you know, in his 40s, but um, but yeah, no, that's good tonight. I figured you wouldn't be investing, but um, you know, outside of uh, the, the big Twitter storm this year, uh, this week, there's been quite a lot of finreg news. I think, Virginie, we should start with the, the Gary Gensler hearing, which you, you sat through four or five hours of it.
2: Oh, God almighty. Um, yeah, it was painful to watch, in fact. I, 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 don't, I rarely feel sorry for regulators, but I actually really felt sorry for him as he sat there being like shouted and screamed at by uh, various politicians. I mean, the last time he did it wasn't quite as bad as that, I think. I, I, I get the feeling that these guys have pent-up frustrations over the last eight... They said they hadn't had one with him since for 18 months, um, but they actually hadn't requested him to be there, formally, apparently. So... Oh. If they hadn't requested him, it wasn't his fault <laughs> to some extent. So, like, I don't know. It, it, it was, I, as I predicted, if I'd been doing shots for the amount of times people mentioned digital assets and crypto regulation versus anything else, I think I would have been well and truly drunk by the first, like, hour in, to be fair. That that was what they seemed to focus on, despite the fact we've got sort of, how many other sort of 40 odds. Um, different proposals on the table from the SEC. Everyone was fixated on the digital asset aspects, yeah. or arguing about ESG, pretty much. That was, the, that was sort of the content of the, the whole time. There was the odd question about other things, about the equity market structure proposals, for example, which were far more impactful to investors and Main Street. But I don't know. <laughs> it got derailed.
0: It's yeah, I mean, it's low hanging fruit, isn't it? In some ways, what they're going after him for, but very much the kind of the matters to the, the retail investors, wouldn't you say, Sean?
2: Well, it
1: was. I mean, it was weird. I mean, one thing these te- these sort of uh, these opportunities to you know testify in front of Congress are always more theater than anything else. So, I mean, you never really get sort of real impactful discussions out of them. So they're they're not designed to be wholly useful, but this one was a little more wild than most. But I, I find it interesting to echo sort of what Virginia was saying, like the average person doesn't care about crypto. Like I know we talk about it and my, you know, very online people talk about it, but like the average retail investor does not care at all. And the SEC is doing a ton of stuff that will actually directly impact main, main street investors that probably should have been the focus Of the of the circus, rather than sort of this the sideshow around crypto, but you know crypto gets the headlines, and but it's it's an odd odd thing to really focus on given what else is happening.
2: It is a weird structure as well. I mean, giving people each five minutes to just you can't really get much into a five minute engagement, and having such a broad brush of like everything the SEC's done in the last year and a half. Is, I mean, it's just a massive amount of stuff that's happened. So I, I just I didn't really understand the purpose of it. That's why I wrote that blog. Because <laughs> yeah. if we're going to try and say that these meetings are, are a useful, um, you know, a useful time for FinReg, then we really have to structure them around one topic, and have some sort of rules that if you if you stray into other topics, then you get brought back into talking about the, the correct topic. Because otherwise, you just there's not there's not a point there's not a point to them. Unless it's just hitting Gary Gensler over the head with a stick, yeah, which, I mean, which happened.
1: Yeah, I think that's basically it. They everyone got five minutes to shout at Gary Gensler, which <laughs> I mean, maybe it would feel cathartic, but I don't. I mean, it doesn't really move move us, move us anywhere on the, the oversight or finreg front, to be honest.
2: You couldn't pay me enough to do that job. My God. <laughs>
1: no, I mean, look, I, I said it before. Like, I think there are lots of valid criticisms of sort of Gary Gensler's approach to regulation the sec but like they they are trying their hardest to make him sympathetic i mean he 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 sat there for four hours and was remarkably calm while getting screamed at so i think it's you know a credit to him that was able to sort of endure it i'm not sure i could
2: it was like the world's worst job performance review that's the way i would describe it right (laughs) most painful thing to watch
1: yeah
0: (laughs) I, I'd like to test that theory, though, Virginia, if we, we couldn't pay you enough to take that as you see. We, <laughs> I reckon there's a number.
2: <laughs> Definitely not, no.
0: <laughs> but yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for the blog and uh, using globalcustodian.com as your uh, personal sounding board. But uh, entertaining, and I was surprised that you said that you felt sorry for Gary Gensler. So it's not a sentiment we often voice on this podcast, but welcomed nonetheless.
2: Regulators um, are humans too, John. Regulators <laughs> are humans too. <laughs>
0: on the on the highlights and the sound bites of this series we'll uh, we'll include that one for jenny for sure <laughs> that soundbite but also in the news this week and um our deputy editor chris lemon wrote the story on this so i'm not entirely up to date i think it's just an approval but Mika, uh the the digital asset regulation in um the, the eu uh, was was passed by the european parliament so was was that a just a you know, a, a tick, uh, you know, a, a green light, an uh, expected kind of go-ahead from the European Parliament.
1: Or was there anything else that that we didn't expect in that? No, that I mean, it was a widely expected sort of seal of approval. I, I think um, it had been delayed a little bit, and the official explanation is that it took a while to get all the the text translated into all the official EU languages. Um, though I suspect it got pushed a little bit to be because it was originally finalized like the day before the SPF fraud unwound. So I think they wanted to put a little daylight between them and the huge blowout crypto before approving crypto regulation. But it was, it was generally expected. There are no surprises. Um, so all things being equal, it will come in in July, and there's about 12 to 18 months of sort of transition time for it to come fully in force. And I think for the – I mean – It's initially been well-received by the crypto gang, though they've never really dealt with EU regulations. So I think they're going to have a fun time experiencing the sort of level two regulatory technical standards process, which is where the real meat of any EU regulation comes in.
2: As Esma was quick to say that, yeah, the the level one text is out, but yeah, we've got a lot of work ahead of us. They actually tweeted about it and they're right. I mean, the the regulatory technical standards always have they always take a while and they often come out late and, you know, quite close to implementation timelines and they are usually painful. <laughs> so much like as I, I compared it to an Ikea manual, <laughs> they, they're hard to interpret and sometimes confusing.
1: Yeah. So I think it will be interesting. I mean, over the next year to track sort of how those progress and how, if when we're doing, you know, this, this podcast a year from now, if the crypto industry is as enthusiastic for MICA as they are at the moment, I think remains to be seen. So finally,
0: T plus one, we've, we've had the announcement from the SEC. We've had some time to tune into countless webinars, other podcasts, listen to DTCC briefings. Uh, I'm sure most of you have read my 5,000 word feature uh, that I, that I put out this week. Actually, I was going to put at the end, uh, you know, if anyone's finished this article, I actually will buy you a drink and see if uh, anyone took me up on it. But it's nice that we can actually have a, a, a follow up on it ourselves and, you know, respectively free of, of kind of, uh, you know, being on on a recording or a webinar hosted by someone with, uh, with a bit more kind of skin in the game. So we've talked about the benefits, the positives that can come with T plus one. I think that's kind of in the past now. But Virginia, maybe we can start with you, but how heavy is this lift for the industry? I mean, we, we've kind of outlined the challenges in you know various things like securities lending, FX, corporate actions, but in terms of the challenge ahead, just how kind of daunting is it for, for the entire industry?
2: Well, I mean, I think just because it, it touches so many different functions and bits of your middle and back office, and most of those those functions are under-resourced at the moment. That's one of the biggest issues, right? We've had lots of job cuts, so people are really struggling. <laughs> to be to be fair, in a normal business as usual year, people would be struggling. But, it, you know, with this hanging over their heads, it's even worse. I think it's just sort of – it's relatively depressing prospects to, to have to trape- try and prepare all of your – First is the scoping exercise trying to see what what's impacted internally looking at all the different systems that might be impacted the different processes and the different market practices so it's not it's not even just a technology problem I think people look at it and they' oh yeah it's just technology but technology ain't going to fix some yeah. of it so you're going to have to look at you know how you fund things how you know where where liquidity is coming from you know do you have to change your account structure and things like that? Um, to accommodate, you know, U.S. flows and, and move things around in an operational sense, so it's a nightmare. <laughs> I'm just going to say yeah, it like I mean,
0: that. I don't think being kind of doomsday scenario about it is just just a reality, isn't it? And I think someone and some people have to take a stand and really outline this stuff. And you know, not all heroes wear capes. We can be those those people. Um, but I mean, out of interest, in you know, if you're a buy organisation organization, and you talked about it, all those areas it's touching on. That's a lot of kind of departments and functions you've got to brief, or is there one person within those organizations that needs to step up and take the lead for it?
2: No, that's what that's part of the problem, and as well, it's not a compliance problem. Often with these things, they get pushed onto compliance teams, and it's easy resort to do that, or you know, you had you, you focus on you know someone in ops that gets sort of the the, the short end of the stick and has to run the project, but. I think because it touches so many areas, that's where you have coordination as well internally, is is a bit of a nightmare. So, you know, thinking about effects, thinking about um, asset servicing, you know, corporate actions processing. Um, I mean, all of the things that no one wants to spend on uh, and no one, you know, everyone that's, you know, we're in proxy season at the moment. So all corporate actions teams are really stressed at the moment anyway. So thinking about this is going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back probably. But um, I, I'd say that's one of the challenges is that, you know, as I say, business as usual is hard enough. How do you get the time, the carve the time out to be able to coordinate across functions and deliver a project of this magnitude and and the move for t, for, to t plus, uh, two from t plus three was not nearly as as harsh as this because it it, it didn't require as many market practice changes it, it required tweaks to some extent and there were i mean there were some some mapping exercises and things that were done but it just it, it this is sort of a wholesale <sighs> change and and you can't do things in batch right
0: no And Sean, I mean, obviously you've been observing what's going on, maybe hosting a few less webinars than Virginia, but what's your take on this kind of, (laughs) as I put it, monumental challenge?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I believe, certainly policymakers have underestimated how much work is required to make this change. I think the ecosystem in totality is not really ready for it. And I think for a lot of the reasons that have been articulated, and the other thing you need to understand, I mean, I think it's important to remember, you know, how budgeting works in these huge companies. So the, the deadline wasn't set for the move to T plus one during budget season. So people might necessarily have budgeted for T plus one work, or they might have thought some other department was responsible for it because there isn't a specific point person who runs this sort of project it, because of the breadth of the, the impact. So I think it's just a huge challenge. Um, for the whole industry. And I think if you look at like part the parts that are probably most challenged, I think buy side is where the most underappreciated challenge is because they we tend to look at these operational issues as someone else's problem or one of their outsourced providers. So I think there's just a lot that needs to happen. And I just, I really think it's going to be a, a huge struggle to get to the, to the finish line. Yeah. So obviously we're
0: we're outlining this and I guess, you know, it's going to land at at the SEC's feet to kind of analyze this and and make a decision. But, yeah, Virginia, how how do they get a a view of this? How do they make a decision nearer the time about whether the industry is ready? You know, what's their kind of ability to see everyone's readiness? And, you know, they didn't talk about a lot of these problems in that that, uh, most recent hearing where they approved this.
2: No, I, I think that's part of the challenge here. I mean, it depends on how well they're listening to the market's feedback. And I, I believe there's a lot of feedback going on. Um, obviously, maybe there are some louder voices there that are very pro-moving um, quicker rather than later. So um, it, it, it's sort of, you know, the, the old lobbying um, stick in in, in, uh, in Capitol Hill and, and uh, trying trying to sort of, we doubt the smaller smaller firm impact and the impact on the U.S. economy is one thing that they have to think about as well. I mean, cross border flows could be negatively impacted by this. It could be bad for the U.S. economy at a time when the U.S. economy is tipping into recession. Um, so again, this is something that they should be bearing in mind. Hopefully, they will be thinking about these, you know, further steps forward. That you know, it's an international impact. It's not just a U.S. domestic impact. Um, they didn't think about Canada, Mark, I've said this before, but like, honestly, they're their neighbours. They didn't think about, you know, it being on a bank holiday in Canada. So uh, maybe they need to to take a step back and think about uh, or have some lobbying from European regulators as well or European entities. I'm sure they are, you know, there's there's voices being raised, but whether they listen or not is the biggest issue here, right?
1: Yeah,
0: that was one of my favourite kind of immediate reactions, actually, kind of of the Canadian Association to be like, oh, okay, (laughs) we see how it is. I guess uh, we'll we'll just fit in with your plans then. Because I think they'd assumed it was the the Labor Day weekend, would not they?
2: Yes, it would be more sensible. Anything I missed, Sean?
1: (laughs) No, I mean, I think that's it. I mean, I think the real, from a sort of policy perspective, and we've talked about this and I've bemoaned it before, like this is being driven by very specific U.S. domestic issues that frankly have nothing to do with trading and settlement, um, but it has to do with the very public uh, Robin Hood and GameStop affair from a couple of years ago. So there was really no level of international discourse or conversation about this at the like IOSCO level or between ESMA and the SEC. So the, the SEC sort of just pushed ahead on this without any level of international cooperation, which I think has put everyone on the back foot because as challenging as it will be for U.S. market participants to get ready for this, you know, obviously, you know, the U.S. is like 50-something percent of the world's capital markets. And so you have European investors and you have Asian investors who are going to have to, who probably aren't as prepared to deal with what they need to do to get in line for this accelerated settlement. So I just think the whole, the, the approach to the whole thing and everyone's sort of grinning and burying it and saying they're gonna be okay because they don't wanna sound like they're not gonna be okay. But I I think it's 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 a real it's gonna be a real challenge. And I think it's something that you know, I know we talked about it a few podcasts ago. Like at some point there's gonna to have to be a go, no, go decision yeah. on the SEC.
0: Yeah, and you can't you can't do it on you know first of May, right? It's gotta be much more in advance. Or or maybe they would just to to really you know, drive that fear into people to, to actually get ready. Um, because Virginia to, to borrow a point you've made, I mean, the, the likely outcome of this is a huge uptick in settlement fail rates that are already high, higher than, you know, they, they have been in the past.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's generally the case when you have massive market structure changes. Anyway, you'll have an uptick in fails, but I think this could be a significant uptick. Um, I think we saw that in India as well um, when they moved the the most liquid stocks at the mm-hmm. back end um, of, of uh, no, the start of this year, I think that, that they had their whole um, international flows, right, were impacted. So uh, all their internationally traded stocks got much, fell much more regularly. So, and I don't know that that's gone down and... and is that is that settlement efficiency is that the intent of this regulation uh, this regulatory change is that the intent of this proposal I, I i just sometimes i wonder about the cost benefit i know after being really sympathetic to gary against <laughs> now, now turning it back around again but does he really think about you know the cost benefit of all this stuff i mean you don't ever get rid of risks you transform it i always say this and it's like one of the sort of uh repeated things I say about regulation. But if you think about it from that perspective, I mean, what are we gaining? Are we gaining enough for for to justify the costs of this and the potential operational complexities? I don't know. And particularly if we go to T plus zero, I'm really uncertain of that business case too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think what's sort of been lost, which I think in this conversation is that when everyone went to T plus two a few years ago, you know, DTCC had papers on like, the next steps and they all said yeah we could go to t plus one maybe t plus zero but like what's the point i mean more or less like they, like it's possible we could do it and they all basically said like but we need some time to bed this down and do it in a coordinated met- method but none of the papers said that like it's going to be you know a huge gain in productivity or efficiency to move to t plus one or t plus zero they all sort of stated that T plus, at t plus two markets were in a good place. So there was no real, all the work that had been done before didn't point to any sort of huge victory for making this step. And do you think there could have been more international alignment? I mean, it seems unlikely, but, you know, the. I mean, now I'm not like, I mean, for whatever reason, the SEC decided that this was like mission critical. I, I mean, so, and I, you know, part of it is just, as we discussed the sort of domestic dynamics, but I think there could have, easily could have been and probably should have been more international alignment because it's not like, you know, AFME can plead as much as they want. Europe is in no way ready to do this in any sort of approximate timeline.
2: And what gives me the fear is that the UK might just do it as a me too. (laughs) And I really don't want that to happen because I think we'll be even more, even in greater trouble if we moved ahead of Europe. I just think it's a, it's a dangerous precedent for us to be considering it, but that's just me. You
1: yeah, know, I think, and I think you're right to fear. I think it's a reasonable concern that the UK will see try to do it before Europe to some sort of like Brexit victory. Honestly, to sort of make the, so they could claim our markets now are efficient because we're out of the EU. So I think I think that is a real concern for market participants. Mm.
0: Yeah, either way, a, a long way away in Europe, and some some serious impacts. Uh, you know, the further east you go, the risk of being just solely negative on on the matter. So Ginny, maybe best to kind of come to you on this, what, what are your tips for, for optimum readiness and the steps that people can take, you know, over the next sort of, let's say for the rest of 2023?
2: I mean, aside from panicking, I think people shouldn't panic, <laughs> <laughs> even, even if you're sort of very early on in terms of understanding uh, what to do. But I think the first step is really just to assess all your current market practices and look at what operationally needs to be done in the interim. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, documentation that's been put out there by the various associations now. Um, AFME being one of them, right? They've they've put together some best practices and things to have a look at. It, you, you're not on your own. Everyone's in the same boat, to be fair. So um, talk to your peers about what they're doing. I know it sounds unnatural for a lot of competitors, right? To talk to each other, because I don't think we do a very good job of that as an industry. But sometimes that's the best way to approach it, see how they're approaching it and see how your client, talk to your clients as well, because they're just as impacted, right? Those communication flows with those clients are going to be severely impacted um, and you'll have to change protocols, make sure that they're aware of what's going on as well. I think that's that's sort of, you know, it's a first step um, and we should have done those things already, but not everybody has, let's let's face it. I'm still talking to buy side firms and, and particularly, you know, there's even large ones that haven't you know, got that far down the path yeah. yet. So um, and, and some of them expect that they won't have to do that much. And, and you know, they really do. So um, talking about it really helps. Um, and also, you know, just understanding and assessing um, your business impacts as well, not just the, the technology, but like, is this going to be something that you have to in, account for in terms of revenue loss yeah. as well? Uh, is another thing to notice.
0: Yeah, and I guess with you know, we talked about, it. you mentioned that, yeah, every time a major market infrastructure change occurs, there is an uptick in settlement fails, but this time you've got the added bonus of uh, CSDR in Europe, so yeah, it's, it's going to cost you even more. Um, Sean, I think Again, coming back to all those, like Virginia's saying, the resources that are available and and where this is going to be discussed, you know, it's going to be, there's going to be DTCC webinars. You're going to have your vendors doing webinars. There's going to be covered at Cybos in depth, I'm sure, but it must be a worry for the people that aren't at those events. You know, the ones that haven't even come to the table yet and, you know, likely are the the buy side and the asset managers of of all shapes and sizes. But yeah, surely this is the biggest problem for people that are just not engaged in it at all, rather than those that are tuning in at the moment.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. So I think if you're like, you know, now in fairness, like ICI um, certainly has picked this up in the U.S. at least as sort of a, an issue. But for asset managers, sort of not to sort of belabor the point, they need to, this isn't something they can just figure that, you know, their, their trading partners and their custodians are going to fix for them. Like they need to really sort of look at this. And so finding the industry associations that are looking at it being AFME or ICI talking to your peers. And then also thinking through the second order impact, it's more to Virginia's point about the business impact, like does this mean any changes to your product setup? So if you're running, you know, a, a usage fund that is an S&P 500 fund that would right now have a T plus two settlement redemption cycle, Do you need to change that because your securities are going to start settling um, a day shorter in about a year's time. So think through what those implications are and then really think through your communications to your to your investors and clients. I mean, that's a that's this is going to have some nominal impact on them somewhere, so they need to start thinking through how they're going to start communicating this through. So it's just a huge project, and if you're you know if you're an asset manager, you need to sort of have it as a priority one, sort of all hands on deck project with a real structure around it, not just wait, assume your vendor management team is going to solve it for you. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but but as Virginie mentioned, yeah, there's there's other stuff going on in the world, and it's it's probably not gonna gonna get to that point right now. I mean, it reminds me of that huge kind of bottleneck of regulatory, you know, rollouts, kind of post financial crisis where, you know, they they all kind of came at once, and I guess you. There were regulations that came in, and you know, certainly some of the reporting regulations that have, that have been a mess ever since. But this isn't one. And I'm not saying it's a regulation, but this isn't one you can get wrong, is it?
2: Well, it'd be expensive, expensive yeah. to get wrong. <laughs> I mean, you can get you can get it wrong for a certain amount of time, and then it's just going to be unbearably expensive to, to continue to get wrong.
0: Yeah, which which will ultimately be the the wake up call eventually, I guess. Yeah. If you want to learn more, again, giving you a few kind of uh, avenues to go down. On Global Custodian, we just published a feature. It was edited down to five thousand words, so uh, and, and and we didn't even cover <laughs> you know, the EU or UK looking at their own move to T plus one. It was uh, purely the impact of, of the SEC move. So make yourself a coffee, sit down, give yourself half a day, and you and you might get through that. Virginia, I think you've got an event. I saw a webinar with you coming up uh, in the next week or so with, with Swift. Is that right?
2: Yes, yes, we're doing like a LinkedIn Live um, thing on, on T plus one. So listen in to that one. It's on, I can't remember, you can re- listen to the recording. It'll, I'm sure there'll be links to it as well if you miss it. But uh, yeah, that's coming up. And I've also done lots of research on it. So I'm sure you'll find my stats if you go to fintechfirebrand.com. Cool.
0: Any any standout <laughs> figures from your from your research that you'd like to share?
2: Um. I'm trying to remember any. So, eighty-one percent of um, of the U.S. Uh, no, North American sell side firms have systems that are significantly out of date or largely manual um, processes uh, within this space that, that, that are going to have to really step up their game. Yeah. So that I mean that's that sort of gives you the the, the magnitude of yeah. it.
0: Sorry to put you on the spot there. I'm glad you actually did have that number just to.
2: Uh, that's all right. Just pull it out yeah, of my hat. <laughs>
0: very interesting. Good. Um, well, fantastic. And thanks so much for, for you both um, to, to talk about this today. I, as I said, I know it's been a few weeks, but it's given us some time to kind of gather our thoughts and see what everyone else is saying and then try to fill in the gaps. So um, look, I'm sure this won't be the last T plus one podcast we do in this series, but, uh, but this is a, a good way to kick it off. So thanks very much to you both for your thoughts today. Um, Sean, where can we find your other
1: musings? As always, follow me on Twitter at smtuffy or uh, Finreg memes on Instagram. Okay. New plug there. Nice. Um, Virginia, uh, outside of T
0: plus one and um, uh, the, the webinar you mentioned, what else are you working on at the moment?
2: I'm doing a big um, look at g- corporate governance and proxy voting at the moment. So understanding, uh, you know, sort of ESG side of things uh, with regards to the G in ESG. So look out for that coming out soon.
0: Fantastic. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. And like I said, we're really we're rolling through these, these episodes, this series. So stay tuned for another episode coming out soon. Thanks for now. And we'll see you next time. You were listening to There's Always a Finreg Angle podcast from Global Custodian. Stream on Google
1: and Apple Podcasts, Spotify or catch up wherever you get your podcasts from.